1: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the real pleasure to talk with Gwendolyn Alfonso, who is the author of Polarized Families, Polarized Parties, Contesting Values and Economics in American Politics. The book was published by Penn Press in 2018, and I have Gwen on the phone today. Gwen, how are you doing?
2: Wonderful. Thank you, Heath. Lovely to be here.
1: Yeah, such a pleasure to have read the book. Uh, We sort of talked before about some of the things that you have to say and how it relates to some of the things that I think a lot about. Before we get to your very interesting book, uh, maybe you can share just a little bit about yourself.
2: Oh, sure. Um, So I'm Associate Professor of Politics here at Fairfield University, which is not very far from you. It's in Fairfield, Connecticut. And um, I have a legal background. So I was actually trained to be a lawyer. I had a many levels of law degrees <laughs> so you know I was very much and this is relevant actually because I did a lot of feminist jurisprudence in another life you know I did a lot of family law and I thought about family law questions because I was thinking of being uh, a family law professor um but, you know, I had a change of heart, and I decided that I really wanted to do undergraduate work, especially in political science, because the ideas of power and state were very interesting to me. Uh, so I, I guess I, I changed field, and I got a PhD in political science, and um, and I've been working on, you know, those intersections, I think, between, uh, between uh, family, law, society, and uh, politics, and especially the state. Um, so that's about who I am.
1: Yeah, no, and and uh, what you describe is so true for the book. Uh your book is about some big things uh from the definition of the family to polarization to the the role of the the new right in American politics. I wonder if we could start uh with thinking about sort of what your book is in response to. Um, you know the, some of the, and you describe this in the book of the so the primary thrust of scholarship on American political development of political parties is is sort of of a certain form and and you respond to that. I wonder if maybe you could sort of briefly describe that and what that leaves out that your book aims to address um, because you're you're complementing a lot of great work, but but you've you've found a, a hole to fill.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, and you know absolutely. Uh, I think coming into Political signs, and as I was uh, you know becoming familiar with the literature in uh, uh, in government and political signs, I realized that there was this huge hole that you know the family was not really something that was discussed, particularly within as you've mentioned parties literature so political parties so while we talk a lot about you know polarization and polarization of political parties and their ideologies, what, you know, in in commentary, that's popular commentary as well as scholarly commentary and work, um, you know, there is no uh, acknowledgement of the extent to which our ideas of uh, particularly these integral family relationships inform our worldviews in terms of how we think about state, how we think about policy, how we think about how much government should intervene in our lives. So uh, the whole the there really was that. In fact, you know, as, as political scientists, family was, uh, I was dissuaded from actually looking at family because family was considered something within the domain of American studies or, you know, sociology or something like that, uh, you know, versus I was trying to do work which is, Bridging some of those divides and bringing understanding of different forms and ideas, really of family. So, family ideologies and political ideologies, right? Really trying to merge those two things together. Because I was convinced, with all my work with uh, law, that uh, those two things were, in fact, very deeply uh, interdependent. Um, So the whole really was that, is that we think we are polarized, and we think we're polarized particularly And there's scholarly debate about whether we're polarized only about culture or we're polarized about the economy. So, you know, is it the economy stupid or is it the culture stupid, right? Um, And I think, uh, you know, I was trying to say that, first of all, that dichotomy is a, a false one that the two things are very, very related to one another. And the way that I try to show that those economy and culture kind of come together is when we really think about, uh, and, and I try to do research and demonstrate with my book, concepts of family, because concepts of family meld or marry our conceptions of the economy, our conceptions of culture, as well as, therefore, our conceptions of the state and government. So that kind of was the whole
1: yeah and your while much of your book um, focuses on the period of of sort of the 1970s onward, you also make longer historical claims and have have uh, case studies from from prior to that period. How far back do you go to explain the emergence of the family as an important distinction between the political parties?
2: Right. So it's interesting. I do go back all the way to the start of the 20th century. So I look at these three different periods. Uh, First, the Progressive Era, which is from uh, 1900 to 1920. And then I look at uh, post-World War II era, so uh, the 1940s. And then, um, uh, leading actually 1945 to 1955, and then I look at 1970 onward to about the 2000s. Uh, so I, I, I look all the way back to the, uh, the start of the 20th century, and I see, you know, I see patterns uh, emerge right from that early period on.
1: Now, you, you offer this m- uh, metaphor in the book of the, the hearth and the soul. As a way to understand the way that parties have looked at families differently, and and sort of uh, tried to to frame the importance and significance of the family. So, what is the distinction between those uh, who view the family with the hearth frame and those with the soul frame?
2: Mm-hmm. So the uh, the hearth frame, uh, you know, and I try to say that both hearth and soul. And I demonstrate that they are sectional ideals, so they are actually uh, regional ideals. They are one is northern, more northern in in its uh, in its conception, and the other is more southern and rooted in very you know in realities of people's lives in the south versus realities of people's lives in the north. So the hearth is northern, and it is more materialist, and it's really focused on the conception of. Uh, The family economy and how money and materialist concerns, you know, things like uh, how much money you have to pay rent, for education, to put food on the table, so sort of these hard materialist facts, those really determine a family's uh, success. So that's the conception of heart. That's like the heart uh, ideal or approach uh, to family and then to policy. And then there's the soul approach, which is the soul ideal as well. at the root of the soul approach is the soul family ideal. And the conception is much more morality based. So it's not materialist, it's morality based. It's more Southern empirically in terms of how people believe about, believe families to be about. And it really, the soul ideal is, um, is uh, upholding the fact that it doesn't matter how much money you have or how much uh, services or programs or, Things you have access to, external things you have access to, the internal quality of families, its morality, its values. That's what really, really makes a difference in terms of a family's success and in terms of raising children uh, successfully. So one is much more economics-based and the other is much more morality-based. One is much more northern and the other one is much more southern.
1: Uh, you demonstrate this uh, in part of the book with sp- uh, bill sponsorship data from the 1900 to uh, 2012. Uh, what do these data tell us about the ways that parties express their views on family through the legislative process?
2: Right. So what I do is I do bill sponsorship data, you know, in my first chapter. And, you know, it shows that family, you know, is increasing in terms of its um, in terms of bill sponsorship and co-sponsorship, it's increasing in its, uh, in its presence uh, across the three periods. So even though in the progressive era, bills, there were much fewer bills, there still were bills that were really focused on family, but then you know, it picks up in the, um, in the post-World War II period, and then it really, really gets ve- phenomenally, it kind of increases um, exponentially in the, in the late 20th century. So for one, it shows that the value of family is really increasing over time as the site for uh, partisan focus and debate. And and, um, and you see that after the twenty, the late 20th century, Democrats and Republicans really become very divided in terms of these heart and soul approaches. Many more Democrats, by far a vast percentage of them, about 80, 90% of them start uh, introducing bills that have this hearth family framework versus, you know, the same vast majority of Republicans are showing, are uh, introducing bills with the sole family framework. And I, I think a very an interesting point, which gets missed a lot when people kind of read the book quickly, and it is a dense book, but, you know, is the fact that after the 1990s in particular, co-sponsorship especially, so co-sponsorship, you know, is when um, somebody introduces a bill and then... Uh, Looks around and asks other legislators to sign on as co-sponsors, so they don't have to do as much work, but they do want to add their bill, their names to that bill, because they think that it's uh, creditworthy in some way. Um, So co-sponsorship, you know, also specifically shows uh, this huge variation, this huge polarization after the nineteen nineties, and you see that the three congresses, especially after Contractor, uh, Contractor America really becomes extremely polarized in terms of heart and soul and that correlating with Republicans and Democrats co-sponsorship. Um, to that, that, That's co-sponsorship. But, uh, you know, the, the, I think the, my, my main part, uh, uh, the main source of data that fuels, I think, uh, the book a lot is the committee data, you know, is the data on uh, committee hearings. And, you know, I can talk more about that if you want to, but we could move on to other things as well.
1: Yeah, and when I, I wanted to, to have um, plenty of time to talk about the really interesting case studies as well, and because they make up a, a good portion of the book. And the, the chapter on the New Deal period was, was especially interesting to me. Uh, one of the things you show in that chapter, uh, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is that there are really three, not two ideals, uh, ideas of the family. Uh, how did these, these three conceptions of the family map onto the party coalition's uh, during that time period,
2: right. So, I mean, it's it's really kind of the and 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 I think it's fair to say that that middle period, which was the post World War II period, is distinctive in that way, in that there's three party coalitions on family, right, as opposed to the progressive era, and as opposed to the late 20th century when there's just two, right. So you had a third faction, which was Southern Democrats, which, which evidenced their own. Uh, ideological approach to the family, much different from non-Southern Democrats, and also different from Republican Republicans at the time as well. Um, so, uh, I guess the the thing is that the Southern faction, the Southern Democrat faction, has a very strong kind of uh, hearth approach because they are really concerned about returning. Because this is actually right after World War II, so they are you know concerned about um for instance returning gis and they are concerned about still assistance as far as housing is concerned and so on and so forth from the government uh for their constituents uh so you know they are concerned about hearth uh issues but at the same time throughout the three periods and especially at this period they are also really concerned about morality so what is um you know they're concerned about the family disintegrating after returning veterans, they are concerned about the effects of war on the family and changes in the family and so on and so forth. So they are a, the Southern faction, Southern democratic faction is a mixed, um, is a mixed heart and soul faction in terms of their ideologies of family, but the Republicans still stay very strongly, uh, um, you know, sold because they're more concerned about values, things like free market values, things like getting the government out of families. And the Democrats are still, of course, they're the New Deal coalition is, you know, very, very quintessentially. So the Democrats and non-Southern Democrats are definitely all about just getting services and making sure that the materiality of the family is being assisted and supported. So that's the three factions um, at that
1: time. Yeah, the the final case looks at the later time period that you've alluded to earlier, the nineteen seventies onwards. Uh, what changes during this period to elevate the family from the really kind of the margins of party party politics to the center? And you know, what are some of those issues uh, that that became uh, so essential to understanding the the party politics of that time period, especially for the new right?
2: Right. So you know, it's 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 fascinating. I can't begin to explain how fascinated I was by seeing the extent to which now family, people start invoking the family in almost every kind of policy after, you know, the 1970s. Um, So I think the big changes that happen at that point, which I allude to, I think in chapter four, is, um, and I I think I should say this to your audience, that if people are interested only in the uh, kind of the more contemporary period, then you know, it's chapters four and five <laughs> and not, you know, the the more historical stuff. Although I would urge folks to look at the historical stuff because the patterns are really interesting, especially with respect to the progressive era. Uh, that being said, so what's happening in the 1970s? In the 1970s, um, you know, all sorts of changes are occurring. Uh, first of all, there's economic changes. So there's stagflation. There's, um, you know, the OPEC oil crisis. There's, uh, there's also... Um, you know, the economy is slowing down, but you also have a lot, a lot of social changes occurring. So there's all sorts of social movements, every ism that one can think of, feminism, environmentalism, gay rights, so on and so forth. You know, there's lots of protest movements occurring that are challenging this conception of of, of your heterosexual nuclear family. Uh, and at the same time, you see very strong demographic changes. And I think I link a lot of the... Of the Policy changes to demographic changes because the family is as people have talked about it uh, being transformed and the family gets transformed more in those you know 10-20 year period than the family did in the past 5,000 as Stephanie Coutts sort of documents really well in her book so you're talking about these cataclysmic changes happening in the family where no longer are women uh, choosing to just be stay-at-home moms, you know, but women are actively entering the workforce in unprecedented numbers. These are married women in particular. There were always have married women in the workforce in large numbers, but married women are now entering the workforce in, um, in disproportionately large numbers. You have, um, you know, all sorts of uh, falling birth rates. You have increasing divorce rates. You have also the falling teen pregnancy, uh, increasing teen pregnancy rates. So there's all sorts of demographic and people's family lives are being fundamentally transformed around this time period, which opens up this whole uh, Pandora's box in some ways uh, of what, or or policy window too, in terms of how can members of Congress now make sense of these changes and how can members of Congress then uh, use the government in what sort of ways to respond
1: to these changes. Now the book is... Please, go ahead.
2: No, I was going to say, and and so, you know, Republicans and Democrats kind of fall back on their uh, usual approaches to things. And so Republicans kind of think about it as, you know, these transformations, and this is very, very... It's very repetitive in the data that I study. So Republicans, you know, really say it's not about... The actual changes in economics, even though you know it's more difficult to have a living wage, it's more difficult to uh, to pay for children's education and so on and so forth. But they're like that's not what is actually at the problem. The real problem is people's values have changed. The real problem is people uh, are not as committed to one another, and people don't uh, care about each other in the same kind of committed way as. You would think of a 1950s family would do. And so they try to use government to address those changes in family values versus the Democrats are saying, it's not really about that, but it's sort of a bait and switch is what they're claiming the Republicans are doing because they're saying it really is uh, about uh, making sure that families have the kind of material supports they need. So in terms of daycare, in terms of making sure that um, that they have uh, a decent minimum wage and so on and so forth. So making sure that families can have enough economic wiggle room to weather these changes in some ways and therefore just stay connected and uh, stay married and stay stable as a family.
1: Now, your book isn't uh, about the, the our immediate uh, time period, um, but it's hard not to think about uh, our Current time period and our current president in the context of these changes in the conception of the family uh, while you you haven 't written about this extensively in the book, I wonder what what you think about uh, the the way in which the Trump administration and donald trump Uh, changes or reinforces uh, these patterns of understanding the family. His uh, family relationships have always been prominent in in how people understand him from ranging from his relationship with his dad to his relationship with his several wives and his family as well. So um, how do you place Donald Trump into this uh, development of of, uh, American politics and its relationship to families?
2: Right, so Donald Trump is an interesting kind of Republican, right, so many would argue, and I think that I do too in uh in, in somewhere else, you know that he is very interesting in terms of uh, you know he's not your uh your average republican either president or but even your average republican partisan, so for a long time he wasn't uh republican even in his own political affiliation uh, but that being said, my the way I think about. Donald Trump is that he is kind of more of an extreme version of the path that the Republicans set themselves down on from the 1970s on. And by that, I mean, is that Republicans, when they shifted in the 1970s, and they shift towards these, um, a very distinct form of family values rhetoric. So it's not just family values as in family self-sufficiency, family's ability to care for themselves, which were kind of more sort of free market kind of family values, they shift in the 1970s to embracing much more of a morality-based family value. So it's kind of religious and morality, this is sort of the Rick Santorum kind of um, uh, rhetoric. Um, and, and when Republicans do this, when they kind of shift towards embracing more of this soul ideology in this very fervent way, uh, and in part I say that is because of their overtures towards the South that is part of the move of the Republican Party southward. So the Republican Party moves southward, they get more religious, they get more morally fervent, and so on and so forth in their approach to family, and especially in terms of family values. So when you see Donald Trump, you see that, you know, he is still appealing, uh, from my perspective, to that, you know, regardless of his own personal uh, life, I guess, but he is really appealing to that same uh, kind of, Base. He is still appealing to people who are morally, uh, you know, very uh, concerned about the state of uh, not just the American family, but now I think broadly the American nation. So it's, you know, it's the, the um, uh, and, 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 and I, ha- I guess I should say that they're very clear kind of lines, racial and gendered ideological lines that people have in these conceptions of family morality. So the sole family network of uh, uh, framework, which is morality based, has always been about the white middle class family, and it has really always been about the white middle class nuclear family. And so that kind of. Um, you know, racial conservativism, which it embodies, the sole family approach has embodied since the 1970s, for sure. And even in the progressive era, you see that they, it still embodies that when we talk about intermarriage and stuff. But that racially conservative, conservative, you know, framework of thinking about families is definitely still apparent in the Trump approach and, and policy agenda. And this is very evident when we think about, you know, the family separation crisis, right, uh, So with migrant families at the border, the whole crisis with migrant families, and uh, as they would call it, uh, as the Trump administration calls them, illegal uh, illegal immigrants, is the whole idea of, uh, you know, the fact that their families and their separation is not as important as keeping the nation together and protecting American families and their, you know, economic and social integrity, right? Um, So... uh, you know, that kind of racial conservatism really is, uh, is ratcheting up. And it is ratcheting up because there's still this kind of this very fervent uh, soul core, I think, to the Republican uh, uh, Party, which it set itself down upon it since the 1970s.
1: Yeah. Uh, Gwen book again is Polarized Families, Polarized Parties, Contesting Values and Economics in American Politics, uh, the book was by published by Penn Press in 2018 and available widely. Gwen, thank you so much for your time today.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. It is an absolute pleasure. I hope I haven't gone on too much.
1: Not at all. Thank you.
2: <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye.